Hi, I'm Sherry Lee Myers, the host of Angel Lady Movie Talk. Today, we will be speaking with Mimi Kennedy, legendary actress, activist, and author. We will be talking about the re-release of her book, Taken to the Stage, The Education of an Actress. And I am so delighted that we will be able to dig more into her book, her life, and her amazing career. But before we start, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Mimi. Mimi Kennedy has been a bright presence on our TV screens since the 1970s. Her most notable TV roles are Marjorie Armstrong on Mom for eight seasons and Abby O'Neill on the hit 90s television series Dharma and Greg. Among her numerous film projects are Midnight in Paris, directed by Woody Allen, and the hilarious In the Loop, written and directed by Armando Iannucci. Mimi's midlife memoir, Taken to the Stage, The Education of an Actress, is now in re-release, and we will be discussing it today. 2005 brought Bob Fatrakis and his gang to Los yeah. Angeles to talk about the stolen election, yep. and you dropped in last minute sat in the back right next to me and i said oh my god this woman is so incredible she made it to this meeting and your total focus on what was going on and then of course your work after that i mean i i knew you a little as an actress but what i really knew about you is that you are a real stand-up person yeah who was yeah. there fighting 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 for the vote I think you know? we changed the course of history. No one will ever know what we were doing here in California, but we uh, did something that nobody else was concentrating on. And that was we restored the paper ballot and we kicked those electronic guys out of the state. In our day, yeah. we were in trouble. Yeah. So we got the paper ballots back. And you and I really, really, really thank you for reminding me. That is what we were doing. I missed you terribly, Sherry, when you kind of um, went back to wherever you went back to. I got a book from you about brides that was so beautiful. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Oh, it was so oh, lovely. And I thought, oh, she's got such an eye. This is so lovely. Aww. And I do think beauty is, beauty is political, quite frankly. Getting to know you as an actress and being able to see you in some of my favorite movies of all time, like In the Loop. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was my favorite. Favorite, oh. favorite. And, and and see, of course, watching you and mom and, and knowing about you and Dharma and Greg has been just a really, uh, it's been a great treat for me and a lot of people. The reason why, though, I am so excited is for people to get to know you as a writer. Uh -huh. Because your writing is so entertaining and it's so laugh out loud and it's so perceptive. So I was one wondering if we could just start with reading from the book for some of these passages that are about the early, early years of Mimi, the young, devout Catholic. Yes. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to start with uh, Father Reddington, I believe. Yes. It was. Yes. Uh, and I'll tell you when to stop. That's a great All idea. Right. In 10 years, at least one of you will be dead, Father Whalen intoned one day to our fifth grade class, gliding up and down the aisles with his hand ominously outstretched above our cowlicked little heads. Robert, at the front of my row, would be dead of leukemia by age 20, but none of us envisioned such a tragedy then. 
We were preoccupied with the dramatic imagery of auto wrecks, screeching tires, and shattered glass. What would you do, he mused, if an angel came to that door right now, asking for volunteers to go to heaven? How many of you would be ready? I raised my hand. <laughs> I was ready. Three years before, on my seventh birthday, I'd become capable of sin, according to the Baltimore Catechism. What a difference a day makes. Since then, my life had become an emotional roller coaster. Fall, redemption, fall, redemption, alternating from Sunday to Saturday. When the fall happened Monday, it was a terrible wait until Saturday, the only day of the week when redemption was available at anonymous confession. Being a good child, I hadn't yet sinned grievously, but I knew the day was coming when I would. My <laughs> sister and her friends were boy crazy. I fatalistically presumed I'd be the same. Most sex sins were mortal. Even thinking about sex was a sin. As I got older, death on the wrong day would easily damn me for eternity. Living wasn't worth the risk. I wiggled my hand at Father Whalen. I'm ready, Father. Let the angel take me. I loved the saints and wanted to be one. They were so attractive on their body, on their holy cards, beautifully posed and lit by an inner grace that would have improved even Garbo. Their costumes were magnificent, textured robes and lush capes. Many of the saints were young girls whose main attribute was virginity. It pleased me to think I effortlessly possessed a sign of spiritual superiority. At an age when I found the alternative repulsive, I had no intention of ever surrendering it. Occasionally, I'd enter our neighbor Mr. Thurston's rose garden at night to sing hymns softly to myself and draw blood on my fingers with the thorns to commemorate Christ's passion. But these ecstasies were usually interrupted by Mr. Thurston's fist-waving appearances beneath his back porch light and his threats to call the police if he'd ever found me on his property again. When you were just a small, you know, a little person, but you had this feeling about God that, and you, and you, and you kind of transposed it to being the light that comes when you're on stage, you feel that you are in the presence. Can, let, can you talk about that a little bit? There were many things about the light uh, and the being on stage that in the light and released from my quotidian boring personhood as Mimi Kennedy, which I did find was a third child and um, yeah. Life, you know, <laughs> great, fine, wonderful. Um, I, I was released from that identity and I became something else in the light. Well, you know, ask a Buddhist, I mean, ask a theosophist. There's a, a the bardo of the light where you're not who you were anymore and you realize you're released into something much bigger. The other thing I felt in the light on stage was safety. Yes. Nobody could criticize me. Nobody could shame me, call me back to who I was and that I was little, without agency, didn't know anything, couldn't do things as well as I wanted to. I was free and I was safe. The other safety valve was 
on stage, no matter what you did, even if it was sinful, just past the footlights, you weren't responsible for it. So on stage, you were safe from doing anything that would make you go to hell. Of course, later, the religious sensibility that said you're showing off, you're being egotistical, and you're being narcissistic, and that's all a sin. You mustn't do that. That did interfere later with At my... At what point did that interfere? Did, was that a struggle, an actual... Yeah, it was. It was a struggle. In, of the I tell it in the book. Um, yes, you do. I scheduled a retreat to talk about my spiritual life and whether show business was part of it or I had to give it up in order to, to go to heaven. And on the day I had to show up at that place at 10 a.m. down in the village, a little convent, mm-hmm. I ended up having an audition at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. Three Girls 3, the TV show that launched me. Amazing. So I put on my best dress and makeup and went down to the audition and had an experience that was wonderful that I described in the book. Yes, you do. And by 10, I was down in the village saying, I'm not sure what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, knowing it, they asked me to come back at five. They already said, you've got to call back. You come back at five because we didn't have cell phones. Nobody could reach me. They just told me then be back at five. And uh, I knew I was going back at five, but I was there to talk to this nun about, you know, am I going to never see God if I, if I choose this, if I go any further with this thing, I think you belong. I think God wants you where you are. And God did. And there you were. And that launched you. Wow. Pretty damn dramatic. That was so far. (laughs) I'm at least doing what I can to to give well to to use my gifts in a way that isn't destructive this is a something i think every little girl does yes but you did it you know professionally kind of <laughs> i did it very well you did it very well <laughs> so i think sometimes from the other points of view of people in my house there were six of us four kids and two adults my father uh-huh. was not home until dinner time of course but what I had a lot of solitude and yeah, I would uh, look in the mirror. At one point I was moved to an attic bedroom to have my own uh, bedroom. That wasn't the guest room that I'd be moved out of from time to time, which was my childhood um, in identity. (laughs) But I, um, yes, I would stare in the mirror and think about sad things and cry and admire myself crying. Uh, To this day, I'm not very good at, uh, crying. I call it beautiful crying. And it, it's, it's not my thing. I can do it. But um, I I often wonder what the subconscious mechanism is there that left that behind me in childhood. And I think it's that I was observing myself from outside. I had to grieve from the inside to really know. And wow. I'm not, that's something I feel uh, capable of doing when the lights are on me and I'm safe and feeling attended uh, to uh-huh, uh-huh it's a challenge it's a challenge but i i, I will overcome that challenge uh, this is part of my bucket list mimi everybody needs to know you've got a really great youtube series yes and on this really great youtube series please go and avail yourself there's numerous wonderful chats that mimi offers for you know 10 10 minutes and it's just so refreshing and wonderful the baltimore catechism is is uh it was uh, published uh by 
Catholics in Baltimore, the, the Catholic Church, uh, as a question and answer guide by chapters of topic for children. And there was uh, the first one, which was to prepare you for Holy Communion when you were seven years old. So it was used up to third grade, second grade, third grade. Right. In fourth grade, they had another one to prepare you for confirmation, which is when you become a soldier of Christ and you, you join the army of fighting for Christ. And uh, that was a little bit more sophisticated in questions and answers. Uh, but it started with... Um, why did God make me? Yeah. <laughs> the basic question, what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. And the answer was God made you to know, love, and serve him in this world and be happy with him in heaven. Okay. They did change that answer a couple of times, became a little more tweaked, but it was always short. But that was the first one. God made me know, love, and serve him in this world. Well, good luck. Know him in this world got a lot of people telling us that we got to follow them because they got the beat on who god is and their mm -hmm. god and, mm -hmm. um this world is very distracting very difficult quite frankly so anyway that was it and we had to memorize uh, some of the questions each night and then the nun there were 60 of us in most of these classrooms when i was young Amazing. And the first grade that was only the morning class there were 60 more that came in 120 kids at the same age in the parish but we would have to learn them. And then the nun, rather than having us say them out loud in class, I guess not to shame the kids. I had a good second grade nun, actually. And you would have to press your your mouth against her veil because you couldn't get into her ear because they had these uh, starched white uh, wimples over their ears. And you had to whisper the answer so your classmates couldn't hear and copy. And that was every day. So you learned this stuff. I certainly did. And I do make the point that when people ask me, how can you learn all those lines? Yeah, yeah. I started with the catechism at age six. I talked to my grandsons about God. They have, they're Japanese American and their mother uh, was a, a Buddhist slash, um, uh, it's escaping me right now what the kind of national religion of Japan is, but it's all about the ancestors. Mm -hmm. They don't really have a God. The emperor was the God. Yeah. Speaking of not knowing who God is in this world and having people tell you they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I talk all the time and they like to talk to me about God. One of them has seen his um, departed grandmother, Japanese grandmother, and they're very mystical and they like to talk to me. And um, I just talked to them about, I talked to my dog about God and he gets very calm. It's just a uh -huh. feeling of purpose, of being here on purpose and being known. You're, you're known as being here. This identity may be transformed at some point, but it will always feel like you. Baba Ram Dass said, apparently, I don't know how anybody knew this, but maybe <laughs> there was an afterlife connection. But he or he might've had a near death experience and come back and he went, what surprised me was mm. I had expected to dissolve into the beatific vision and complete joy, dissolution of self and just become something else. He said, not at all. Mm. I stepped over and I was me. Said I was just yeah. same old Baba Ram Dass. Mm -hmm. He said it was joyous and ecstatic and everything that people talk about, but he hadn't lost who he was. And I think that may be true, at least for a portion of cosmic time as we 
remember and forget having just mm-hmm. done this part where I forget myself on earth as people with Alzheimer's do, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we know it's something that happens over time, either in a hellish state or if we are loved i don't i really am beyond my up above my pig right now have two beautiful passages about family who were actresses do you mind reading from that section i'd love to thank you i love your description so much all right when daddy told me aunt fran had toured Early in the century was some of the era's leading stage actors, including Otis Skinner and John Drew. That's Drew Barrymore's grandfather, I think. I barely understood what I was hearing. The news that Fran had been an actress stunned me, and I had to completely revise my view of that little dumpling of a woman who sat demurely Sundays at Grandma's house in a particular straight-backed chair, So exclusively did I see Fran in that chair that she is one with it in my memory. Both were plumply upholstered and supported by delicate legs. I began to study Fran those Sundays, armed with this new information. (laughs) There were clues to her past, I saw, now that I knew how to read them. Her dresses featured tightly ruched bodices that showed off a waistline still trim for a woman her age, and their portrait necklines displayed her penchant for costume jewelry like the jumbo pearl choker that was her trademark. Her hair was meticulously coiffed, whether in the coil of gleaming gray she wore in the 50s or the snow-white finger waves rising vertically from her brow in the (laughs) 60s when I knew her secret. Her diction, which I had always noticed, bore not a trace of the upstate flaws that afflicted most of my family, now seemed to have, yes, pear-shaped tones. (laughs) One Sunday, my father saw me hovering near Fran's chair and called out, Fran, I was telling Mimi that you toured with people like John Drew. Why don't you tell her something about it? Aunt Fran looked startled, as she often did. Her black-rimmed glasses magnified already large eyes to give her the appearance at times of an adorable bug being asphyxiated by pearls. Oh, dear me, she exclaimed with a little laugh. She turned to me, her whole upper body going, too, because of her training and posture. What would you like to know, dear? She asked, dimpling sweetly. Would you mind talking about Cousin Ruth? Because she was the other dynamic person. Cousin Ruth, by the way, is Ruth Warwick. And she was most famous for having been forever on All My Children, a daytime soap opera. But she was also in Citizen Kane. Uh, Orson Welles chose her to play his wife. And he said, I need a real lady to play this part. And you're the only real lady in Hollywood. I don't know if that's in what I'm going to read. but No, it's not. But that's great to know. Okay. Here she comes. <laughs> Cousin Ruth entered our home with a force so powerful it caused air displacement in the living room where I sat. I was eight years old and surrounded by relatives, all of whom had gathered to greet our family star, actress Ruth Warwick. When the door closed to contain her, the chair beneath me shook. Most of my adult relations who lived within a day's drive of Rochester had assembled and braced for this event. It was our one chance to clasp Cousin Ruth to the family bosom, and we wanted to make sure that by day's end, she'd feel completely and inextricably wedged. 
She was cousin by marriage only to a relative of my father's whose family tie was distant to the point of inscrutability. This made our connection to Ruth fragile, we knew, not just because the man to whom we owed it was obscure, but because we owed it to him at all through marriage. Marriage was as good as blood for glue in most of our Irish Catholic clan, but actors, we knew, tended to regard it differently. They married repeatedly and for pleasure, more as recreation than sacrament. We sensed that if we wanted our claim on Ruth to last, we'd have to stage this memorable welcome, then hold on like terriers in a death grip. Ruth had accepted my father's invitation to meet her husband's extended upstate family, probably because daddy had a past that elevated him above the level of boring relations for even the most sophisticated of persons. He'd interned at the New Yorker magazine in his youth, a protege of Alexander Wolcott's. Wolcott had admired daddy's editing and writing in the humor and literary magazines of Hamilton College, their mutual alma mater. And this one daddy, the internship, a summer seat at the Algonquin Round Table, and invitations to Wolcott's cottage at Lake Bomasine, Vermont, where daddy had played croquet with Harpo Marx. Surely this history is what lured Ruth to our suburban living room that day. The rest of us could not have been objects of much fascination. Yet we were relations, drawn like moths to the flame of Ruth's celebrity. She must have known this would make us an attentive and adoring audience, and the appeal of such audiences for actors can never be underestimated. They are our antidepressant of choice. <laughs> talk of Ruth's heels and jingling of her jewelry set up a clatter in the foyer that roused us in the living room to our feet as if commanded by the din. The noises intoxicated me. They announced that at midday, cousin Ruth was dressed to the nines. When she and daddy stepped onto the hall rug, it muted everything but the bracelet jingling, which accompanied the pair's advancing murmurs like sleigh bells. No one in the living room spoke. We were as intent on her progress towards us as farmers tracking a tornado. Suddenly, Ruth's voice rang out like a bell. Put them anywhere, Jerry. That's fine. Oh, oh you see, folks, that's what this book is so full of. These gems, yeah. these, these gorgeous little meals. And Mimi, I just love your writing so Thank much. You, Thank it you. Is such an incredibly entertaining book. Fascinating how you learned your craft. Yes. It's fascinating. Oh, God, yes. Painfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, painful experiences. I can't believe I'm still in show business, given how little I knew when I was trying to break in. I had a lot of energy and I had a lot of wishing to be good, but I did not know what I was doing. And it took me a long time to find a teacher who was willing to to give me the tools. Was to that Kurt Dempster? Was that Kurt Dempster? God bless him. Kurt Dempster it was. What was the the biggest lesson that you learned with Kurt? What was it that opened up? <laughs> to take my focus off myself uh, and put it on the other actors. Uh, yeah. People were all angry. People were all nervous, but Kurt knew the tool to get you out of it. And into something magical in relationship. Okay. And that plus learning your lines. You have to know your lines in order to get that free. And a lot of actors don't. 
think that's true because they come from improvisation. I do too. And, you know, lines, schmines. Uh, I'll say something like what I'm supposed to say, but it might not be exactly. And if you're doing a lot of that, of course, you can't forget yourself all the time because you're kind of wondering if you're in the right ballpark or if you haven't memorized very well. I call it fear of memorization. You see it in actors' eyes or you see it when they fump for We all try to go, you know, if I'm talking about this eye clean, I go, um, yeah, it's like, it's like blue. There's a, um, like a blue picture instead of just going, there's a blue picture. Mm-hmm. What are you going to say about that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, it's just some bad um, habits. I forget, I guess it was a teacher in college who once said a very helpful thing. He went after I worked on stage, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was doing a scene and he went, your lines were showing. Oh, wow. <laughs> And for those of us who remember what it was to have a slip showing, because we had to wear slips with our dresses. Yeah, 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 yeah. What roles changed your life? Marjorie. Let's talk about Marjorie. Let's talk. And Marjorie is, she's the AA mentor. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Loved her, didn't know how to do her, didn't know who she was, worried about what was her social class, what was her background. And Chuck finally just said, she's a strong character. Okay. So then I just did the lines as a strong character and was getting set place. And then I thought, I'm leading these 12-step meetings. I'm going, hi, Bonnie. I'm talking about, and I've never, I've been to one 12-step meeting in my life to support a friend. And it was huge. It had a hundred people in it or whatever with a speaker. So I thought I better get me to one. If I were playing a cop, I'd do a drive around with a cop. I'd I'd want to know, or, you know, I'd need to know. So I went, uh, found a, a 12-step meeting where you didn't have to give up your glass of wine that you were having with your husband every night. And it blew my mind. It was at a Catholic retreat center Mm -hmm. once, and I haven't stopped in the last nine years. Well, what was it you've discovered? Adult children of alcohol, it has 12 steps, it has promises, it has, it's, it's a, I didn't know there was a syndrome, but you, you, there is. And, um, most of us are in it because of a cultural time in history. Mm-hmm. I would say upper class. And it's not just upper class. It's everybody, country club down to kids with parents in prison. It's it's a thing. And we all need to recover from it. And it helps to be with each other. And in those groups, you are with each other. And it's not just a group you would have chosen for your own comfort at all. Yeah, It's a women's group I'm in. So I do restrict it to that. But it's fantastic. So many countries, so many people from different backgrounds and conditions and all eventually talking about the same challenges and gaining hope from each other and so much strength from each other. It's truly miraculous and it's free. How many things can you go to where you're accepted, known, get to speak weekly Mm -hmm. and heal? Mm Mm-hmm. The meetings informed your life and informed your character. Both. Absolutely. Both. And we also got a sponsor whose who's, uh, persona, I told her right out, I said, you are seeping into this character that 8 million people see every week on TV. Thank you. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I finally, I, I found people who were Marjorie. It was wonderful. It changed my life. 
there were other roles that were life-changing, but at the time, uh, mostly, I was raising small children, including Dharma and Greg. I mean, Abby was fun, but I would say it was more of an expression of who I was anyway. The hippie, the mother, you uh -huh. know, it was like, oh, I got to be paid and be watched. That yes. was Dharma and Greg. Uh -huh. But Marjorie gave something back, and it uh -huh. was very deep. And Chuck uh -huh. knew it. I told him what had happened, and he went, oh like to hear more about that because he I think the whole reason that show came to into being was he in a writer's room full of recovering people it really was it, it, it was a great show Curtis Payne an intellectual a force of nature and losing her mind to Alzheimer's so at the same time there's this, this great duality of her her, her performance and then her private life. And you did a brilliant job showing all of these facets. How did that role work for you? Oh, very sick with the respiratory virus about halfway through. Oh, and, wow. uh, I managed to go on stage every night and yeah, actually get better. I, I felt myself the performance loosening and living and breathing, even as I you would go home and you know be sinus congested and, and in pain I was not with COVID so thank God the play never stopped it would have if it had been COVID and it never was but I understood that this energy was going through me so powerfully 90 minutes every night I was never off stage 90 minutes I went from being someone I wanted, a Radcliffe graduate. I'd never even applied to Radcliffe. I was afraid they would say no to me and I'd be crushed. So I just, I went to Smith. Um, Radcliffe graduate, an intellectual bowing to no one, you know, had a son, but didn't marry, never had to be a domesticated woman, not cooking for anyone, not feeding anyone, just judgmentally flinging her opinions everywhere and being honored for it and I she's that for the first good you know 15 minutes of the play directly addressing the audience in a very wonderful speech in which she disses Norman Mailer among other things she's very powerful and scary mm -hmm. but she's losing her memory so she not only loses her memory because that wouldn't be so bad she falls in love and at the memory clinic she loses her identity and as you say some what remains is inside her her subconscious still knows who she is and that no one else knows who she is and who she really was was this person capable of love that all those judgments were in the way that's what her subconscious tells her and luckily she has a son to take care of her and his partner i i, I took my subconscious with me at one point when i was talking to larry i i, I felt almost schizophrenic because i had a whole other series of pictures and words going through my mind that had to do with the play while i was trying to talk to him and i said i got to you know i'm nauseous i i thought having a stroke. I don't know what this is, but it was a sign to me that I, during the rehearsal process, this was, I was not yet baked in and I was still, I was still going subconsciously between Prupain and myself. Yes. In my waking life. I never dreamed I was old, but I didn't need to, but I died every night on stage, not in a bad way, but you know, I went from wholly coherent on top of the world to basically uh, 
passed from this life. Grieved and grieved when I finally ended that run. I had been so sick, but I also had felt what it is to die and let go. It was really hard with your whole body because I'm giving a speech on stage to 800 people. This is not television. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I danced. I've started ballet exercises at home just to remind my body how necessary it is. If I want to continue on stage, I have to have all that balance and all that musculature. Luckily, I'd been doing some physical training for two years before getting the role. But it's funny how things come along. That was a, it was lovely. It was just lovely. I was so grateful for it. the old uh, Grace Slick, feed your head, feed your mind with something that mm. you find beautiful and makes you hopeful. And no, that's the truth. That's good. Because what goes in comes out. And I'm not a pure, you know, purity is a very bad idea in society because of, well, Nazism. Yeah. But if you long for beauty and you long for the good, put it in your head. Look for things that put that in your head in an inclusive kind and generous way look the earth is generous generosity i think is one of the most important things to be part of now generosity i love that thank you okay. thank you thank you mimi thank you thank you thank you uh, sherry it is so good to talk to you mimi kennedy's memoir taken to the stage the education of an actress is available in print, ebook, and audio format on Amazon. You can follow Mimi's Instagram and YouTube channels at Mimi Kennedy LA. Please stay tuned for Mimi Kennedy Part 2 Politics and Our Future by subscribing to this podcast.